Good evening. Welcome to New Hope Church. My name is Chad. Ushers, please prepare for the tithes and offering. Yesterday at our staff meeting, we were planning and preparing for the camps that we have coming up um, this summer. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to have our Define Camp, which, which is going to be for our junior high schoolers. Then a couple of weeks after that, we have our sports camp for our first to fifth graders. And then a couple of weeks after that, we're going to have our legacy camp for our, for our high schoolers. And so when we were done um, planning, we went out onto the campus and we walked the campus and we prayed over the grounds and we prayed for the youth and all the things that um, the Lord is going to do during this camp. And while I was walking around, I thought about the story of Nehemiah when he heard that the walls were torn down. And when he heard that, he went to the Lord in prayer. And then as soon as he had the opportunity, he went out and he started to build the walls. And he invited all the people that were there and the families that were there. And they started coming together and working together to restore the walls. And, you know, just like the camp, we're going to be getting ready and we're going to be building tents and getting our facilities um, set for the youth. And when we do our part and we just give to the Lord and we come together, God takes that and he does what we cannot do. He does the impossible. He restores. He changes lives. When we give of our tithes and our offering, we give that to the Lord and he takes that and he uses that to further his kingdom and to reach those far from him. If you're visiting us for the first time tonight, we want to welcome you here. Um, please don't feel obligated to give. If you're visiting from another church, please continue to tithe at your home church. And if this is your home church, we're going to pray. We can bow our heads. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing. Lord, we just thank you for the camps that are coming up that are going to reach the next generation. Lord, we thank you that we have a church where we have our Sundays, our Wednesdays, and small groups that we can come to learn and grow in you and, and further the kingdom, Lord. I pray, Lord, for the offering that we give, that we give that wholeheartedly unto you, Lord. Take that and use that. Reach people, Lord, that they may come to know you as Lord and Savior. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Chad. <clears throat> I'm not sure if you were here last week, but I wasn't. Heidi and I were at our yearly uh, Foursquare Connection, and it was in Nashville, Tennessee. <laughs> Woo! It's so hot. And it was not, you know, he, he, it's hot here and humid, which makes it worse, but it's like oven hot. Like you're walking into just heat and just an oven. So you're trying to stay indoors as much as possible. But coming home is the best thing because there's nothing like being home. We miss you guys just being gone one week. You might be thinking, we didn't miss you because, you know, we're not here for you, Pastor, which is a good thing because I'm thankful for Pastor Ben who spoke last week and did a phenomenal job bringing the Word of God. We should always listen to the Word of God. And, and, and open, our, open our hearts to His Spirit uh, I remember attending church, and when the pastor would go away, I would look at who's speaking, and I'd be like, oh, man, not that one, boring, or oh, this one, I don't understand, or they talk too fast, or they mumble, and it's like God corrected me one day, and he said, you know, it's not, it's not the person that is saying these words. They're an instrument for what is holy, so it's the individual that God uses to bring forth the word of God. And once I understood that, then I thought, I can, I can listen to anyone. Because if it's the word of God being given and the gospel of Jesus Christ being given, then it's not on the person who's giving it. I'm sure, yes, we can you know, improve on our skills. But if I can develop ears that hear the Lord, not the delivery of the person, 
or how it's being delivered, then it causes me to grow closer to God and to lean into him rather than for someone to come with eloquent words and, and great illustrations and, and things that, that will make me feel better. I'd rather hear from God and, and, and obey him and follow in his word than to have some nice speech that is, that's as far as it goes. Of course, it's good to have both where it's both, you know, done well and you hear the voice of God, but it'll always come back to our hearts. So thank you for listening to the Lord. Thank you for pressing into him because it is always about his spirit and always about his presence. Uh, when Heidi and I came back, uh, we came back on Saturday and then, of course, got to attend church on Sunday. And just being here among the family is so refreshing. We got to be with the family of Foursquare, which is our denomination, and it's good to see, you know, the larger Foursquare family, but nothing like coming home to rain. It's so good to come home to rain. It felt good. It's like my skin was like just soaking in everything. I almost had to use uh, Bunny Correa's moisturizer for her face because my knees, my legs was like alligator skin, and I don't, I don't, I don't use lotion. Maybe we should get into the message tonight. We're getting too far. Yeah, let's let's. Let's jump into tonight's message because we're going to start a brand new series tonight, and we're going to talk about some disciplines when it comes to prayer. And if you want to title it a series title, then we're going to be talking about the path to disciplined prayer because it takes discipline to pray. Here, here's the difference between praying and talking. Talking doesn't require discipline. Anyone can just talk. We talk all day. We talk, we talk. Sometimes we talk too much. But when it comes to prayer, discipline is needed because prayer is a specific kind of talking. It takes a lot of discipline for our spirit to connect with the words that we're speaking in the presence of God. It's, it's gonna, the discipline part of it is, is necessary for us to develop a prayerful life. And we'll, we'll say prayers sometimes. We'll, uh, we'll throw out prayers or we'll say, thank you, God, for this. Or before we eat, we'll say a prayer. And that's all fine. But to take initiative to pray and to develop a prayerful life, it's going to take a lot of discipline. So for the next couple of weeks, we're going to learn the Lord's Prayer together. And when we learn the Lord's Prayer together, it's knowing that when God created everything and when he created us, he also gave us a way to connect with him. He didn't create us and just and kind of let us go by ourselves and hopefully you find a way to connect with me. Hopefully you can find a way to, to get a good reception to connect with me. He said, no, no, there's going to be a way for us to connect where nothing can hinder us physically. No distance, no height, nor depth, nor anything that is created can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So there's nothing that can separate us praying from him except our unwillingness to do so. We can pray to God at any time. But sometimes what happens is even knowing that, we don't have the confidence to pray. And I've been there where we have fears, we're intimidated, we think God won't hear us, we're, we don't feel worthy, we feel like God, because he knows our past and our present life, that he won't want to hear us. And that he looks down on us or he condemns us. But what we're going to learn is that we can develop a confident faith. So our series, Having the Path of Disciplined Prayer, tonight's title would be to have a confident faith. Because God is going to give us faith, but do we have the confidence in our faith to pray to God and to know that he hears us? 
Not just to throw out a prayer in, in the hopes that it, it lands somewhere. That if we say a prayer, our words are just going to go into empty space. Because there's nothing more paralyzing than when it comes to a prayer life that has no confidence in this relationship with God. And it all begins with our relationship with him. That's why when Jesus instructed his disciples to pray, remember they asked him, Jesus, teach us to pray, which is pretty interesting. They never said, Jesus, how do you do miracles? That's pretty cool. You can, you know, turn water into wine. You can, you know, multiply the fish and the bread. Or even the song we sang tonight when we uh, sang uh, Oceans and how Jesus could walk on water. And they, they didn't ask about those amazing things. They asked him one simple thing. And it's in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. And if you have the app, it's there. If not, you can open your Bibles there. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. I'm reading, reading the New King James Version. And then Jesus answered them this. He says, In this manner, therefore pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So Jesus starts off with a relationship with God. He says, here's how you pray. Our Father. He begins simply with relationship. He doesn't begin with religion. He doesn't begin with saying, okay, if, if you want to learn how to pray, this is how you do it. You need to get down on your knees. You need to fold your hands. You need to close your eyes. He doesn't say that. He starts off with our Father, which is a big deal to them because to call God our Father wasn't really the norm because relationship with God was something seen as just holy because Moses was the only one that could go into the Holy of Holies when they built the tabernacle. All the people couldn't. They couldn't understand how God could want a relationship with human beings. They were afraid of God. So when Jesus says, no, this is how you pray, you start off with your relationship with God, our Father. And it's the same with us. If you want to learn how to pray, just start with your relationship with God. And you might be thinking, but I don't have a good relationship with God because I've done these things. Listen, our relationship with God is not dependent on our behavior or our past. Our relationship with God is based upon what Jesus already did at the cross and the future that we have in him. He already did that for us. So he relationally loves us. He doesn't religiously love us, which means you have to do something good in order for God's love to be given to you and I. It's he's already good. He already loves us. So there's nothing more that you, can, you and I could ever do that will make God love us any more or less. He will always love us, and he has compassion for us. In the book of Thessalonians, the first letter, you know, Paul wrote, Paul the apostle wrote two letters uh, to the, the church uh, in Thessalonia, and he writes a, uh, kind of like a list of things in, in First Thessalonians, and leading up to chapter 5, he gives just a list of uh, a series of concise corrections or commands as kind of like the basic essentials for a disciple who follows Jesus or someone who follows Jesus Christ. And coming to the end in verse 17 of uh, chapter 5, uh, 1 Thessalonians, he says, uh, Paul the Apostle says these three words, pray without ceasing. 
And he speaks these words, not to say you stay on your knees, close your eyes, and you keep praying. He's saying you should always have an open communication with God. You should always remember your relationship with God, that prayer to God is like how we have relationships with one another. When there's a close relationship, you're able to talk freely, and you have the confidence to speak to one another. And if you want to have that kind of confident faith where you can pray to God and not have anything hinder you, then it's going to cause you and I, all of us, to grow in our relationship with him and grow closer to God. And what happens is the closer we are to God, the closer we are with one another. So if you're in a marriage, if you're in a relationship, the closer, if you want to get closer to each other, grow closer in your relationship with God. That's the best way. Because when you do that, now God is strengthening the both of you and your relationship together. That word or the phrase without ceasing means without intermission. I think we've attended some plays and it was like super long. But thank God for intermission where we could take a break. What God is saying is you can, you can pray anytime because there is no breaks with me. I'm always available. And on the positive side, he's always open and willing and available. He doesn't close up. He doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't, he doesn't have a phone. He's always open to us. We can speak with him at any given time, no matter where we are in life and no matter where we are in location. And because of God's love for us, he disciples us in love. He grows us spiritually. And even all the trials that we go through and the, the walking out of our faith is built upon the confidence to pray that part of our life as a believer is a disciplined prayer life. And if, if I look at our prayer life, it, we need disciplined prayer, kind of like bookends to our life with Jesus Christ. We, we, we will need discipline in being a follower of Jesus Christ. Prayer is essential. I, I went on Google and I searched three categories. I searched money, God, and prayer. Money came up uh, or the results was 7,250,000, no, 7,250,000,000 results just searching money. Then I searched God. There was 3,810,000,000 results. So it's half of money. Like searching for God and searching for money, people search for money more than they search for God. And then I searched for prayer there was only 884 million results. I mean, that's a lot of results, but compared to money, it's not even a seventh of money. I wonder, are we more interested in money than prayer? That we chase after money, but we don't chase after the heart of God. And we search for money all our life when the power comes through prayer, not finances. That's the power that prayer has Prayer is such a powerful discipline of the life, in the life of, believe, of a believer that it's not just about saying words to God and, and it's not just about the believer, but it's also about the believers. That when we pray together, something happens in the heavenlies, something happens with the body of Christ that it strengthens one another. And when Jesus Christ is the one and the reason why we pray to God and the one that connects us to God, then there's no reason for us not to have, to have confidence because he gives us all the confidence in the world. You know, prayer is a word or an idea 
that some use to cry out to God or just to cry out to when bad things happen to, and some people say this, whoever's out there. Like they'll just pray to whoever's out there. I'm thinking, you don't just want to pray to whoever's out there. You want to pray to God himself because he's the only one that can answer your prayers. And he answers it in such a way that it benefits the prayer person or the person praying. And when we pray to God, prayer is that kind of like that person-to-person communication. It's straight from us to God. And God hears our prayers. Our prayers include even worship, our worship time. During our times of worship, the songs that we sing, a lot of them are from the book of Psalms. They're prayers. And so while we're worshiping God, we're praying also. It's that person-to-person prayer. The fellowship time that we have with God and one another, or if we intercede for someone, you know, you pray on someone's behalf. I just got a text message earlier, and uh, Bunny, who's on staff with us, she sent a text out saying to pray for one of her friends, and so we just prayed. And we're not praying to someone out there. We're praying to the God who created us. And when we understand prayer, we can intercede for one another. We can step in and, and, and stand in the gap for one another. It's like our children when they go astray or even in our own household when things aren't going well, we can stand in the gap for one another. We can intercede. That's how powerful prayer is. And that's the confidence that we can have in God knowing that he's going to hear our prayers, that when we pray to him, it doesn't fall on deaf ears. In the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, Paul the apostle says to pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. You know that phrase, all kinds of prayers, is a translation that helps us as we walk the path of prayer to learn the means and methods of prayer. When he states this, he's saying in all kinds of prayers, it's like we got to learn when Jesus said, here's how you pray. We have to learn that because it starts with our relationship with God. And as God calls us to prayer, It's not to be, you know, so religious or weird or mystical. It's our connection to him. It's very practical, like how we speak to one another. That's what Jesus was saying, that this is is how we are to pray. He said, in this manner. And then he began to teach the disciples. And as we learn to live in the spirit of prayer and and learning to walk in the presence of God and learning to to connect with him through prayer, it it gets... uh, I wouldn't say easier and easier because that's not the, it's not the, the, the feel that you want to have. It, you grow closer to God and your confidence in your prayer is that much greater because you're growing in your relationship with God. When I first met Heidi, I was in the seventh grade, she was in the eighth grade, and it was very intimidating because you don't know each other. And, you know, when I met her, this is like the most beautiful woman in the world. And I'm thinking... How is she going to match up with someone like me? Like my friends would look at her and look at me and think, wow, how are you going to score that? <laughs> like how, how in the world? So my, my thoughts of I'm not, I'm not even worthy to stand in your presence was going through my mind. But the more I learned about her and the more we grew in a relationship, the more confidence I had. Not because I, you know, became this super person, but it's because our relationship grew. And sometimes our confidence with God is not because we're evil. It's not because God is distant. It's probably because 
we don't have a close relationship with God. And we still think of him as, as far from us or us far from him. And so when Jesus says, no, this is how you pray, our Father in heaven, he's saying you're not just praying to any old deity or, or just some God somewhere. You're praying to our Father who is in heaven. Like he's specifically saying, this is who you're praying to. You're not randomly throwing prayers out of some volcano or some tea leaf or some rock on the ground. You're not praying to these things. In fact, God created these things. So he's God. This is who you're praying to. And when Jesus states this, he'll start relationally, but he's also letting us know who exactly we're praying for, which he knew from that time, 2,000 plus years later, we'd be in a situation like this in our country and our world where there are just whatever you want to believe. Whatever God you want to believe, that's the God you believe in. But Jesus had it correct. He said, no, when you pray, pray in this manner, our Father in heaven. Listen, there is no other God, even if someone believed in another God, that will be in heaven except the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. There's only one God. So when Jesus says to pray in this manner, our Father in heaven, it eliminates any other possibility of praying to any other God. It's our God in heaven. So the question is, how do we develop this confident faith so that we don't fear praying or, or, or we, we back down on prayer or we, we think God's not going to hear our prayers because of things that we're going through or hesitate because we think we don't, we're not worthy to pray to God? How do we develop that confident faith, especially when we're praying to a perfect God? We're going to look at three things. Here's the first thing. To remember that prayer to God is relational. That's what Jesus was saying. It's very relational. It's not a, a religious thing or something that is, is a, like a routine that we do, although we can pray consistently. It's not a form of words that we're going to say repetitiously, as Jesus put it. You don't just keep saying the same words over and over. Imagine if you did that every single day to your spouse. Every morning you wake up. Maybe the first day it would work, like, oh, honey, I love you. You're the most beautiful woman in the world. I can't take my eyes off of you. And then you get up the next morning, oh, honey, you're the most beautiful woman in the world. I can't take my eyes off of you. 20 years later, honey, I know already. I'm the most beautiful woman in the world. <laughs> can't take your eyes off of me. I don't think it would be 20 years later. It might be two days later. But it's like, like there's a... There's a relationship that God wants with us and not repetitious, a repetition. He wants, he, wants, he wants us to verbalize how we feel. He wants us to speak with him, to talk with him how we speak to one another. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it tells us that this is the confidence which we have before him, before God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from him. This is where confidence comes from. It comes from knowing that he hears us and that what we ask for, we're going to receive because we're in this relationship with him. And it's not a relationship of I want stuff from God. If you're in a relationship with God and you have that solid relationship with him, you know as well as I do that we don't go to God for stuff. We go to God because we love him. We have a relationship with him. And the book of Psalms tells us that if we delight ourselves in him, then he will give us the desires of our heart, which means if we're delighting in him, we'll become more like him. So our desires 
become the desires that he has for us because he knows what's best for us. So now that we ask or when we ask because it's now his desires, he has no problem giving it to us because he knows it's, he knows it's healthy for us, he knows it's good for us, and he knows that this is going to bless us and not take us away from who he is. It's very relational. It's real with God. It's not foreign to God. Now, I'm sure for many of us, myself included, I grew up in an environment where I didn't have a dad. So when we pray to God in this manner, our Father in heaven, like a, Jesus is saying, like a child to a father, we sometimes fear that because our heavenly Father didn't treat us well. And we think God is going to respond to us and treat us just like how our earthly father treated us. So we hesitate with that because we grew up in that environment where we weren't treated well in our home and we sometimes carry that over to our relationship with God. But I want to speak this to us tonight. God is not our earthly father. He is much different than our earthly father. Even if your father was a great father, God is not to be compared with our earthly father. He's our father in heaven. He doesn't condemn us. He doesn't ignore us. He doesn't look down on us or put us down. And he doesn't forget his promises. He remembers every single promise. See, when Jesus came, Jesus came to redeem this marred image of God that mankind had with, had with God. He came to redeem us and restore us, to strengthen us because of our view of our earthly father being translated to our heavenly father. And so Jesus, walking this earth, showed mankind what God was like. That's why he said, if you see me, you see the Father. In fact, in John 14, verses 6 through 9, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I, have I been with you all this time, Philip? And yet, you still don't know who I am. Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? What Jesus was doing is he was, he was restoring and correcting the view that mankind had of God. And that's part of the reason why the Pharisees didn't like Jesus because he had so much compassion on people. He loved people, and it seemed weak to them. But what Jesus was doing is he was correcting, once again, the view or the, the perspective that we should have with God, that he is our Father in heaven, and he wants a relationship with us, that God is right here with us. He wants to build us up. He wants to strengthen us. He wants to renew us. He wants us to pay attention to him as he pays attention to us, and he fulfills every single promise that he gives to us. He fulfills them all. Prayer with God is very relational. Here's the second thing, that God's faithfulness will give us the confidence to pray. It's his faithfulness. You know what is amazing is even in our unfaithfulness, God stays faithful. Like you can run away from God. Jonah did it in the Bible. He ran from God. Of course, he was thrown overboard and he got eaten by a fish and survived. But then the word of the Lord came a second time to Jonah. The fish spit him up onto shore and then Jonah was like, okay, I'll go follow God. Like he changed his mind and God accepted that. Why? Because God is faithful even though we run from him. Even though we're unfaithful, God must 
remain faithful. It's just who he is. It's his character. God cannot change. He is who he is. And I'm thankful that he is who he is. I'm thankful that God is love. God doesn't have love. He is love. God doesn't require faithfulness to be a part of him. He is faithful. It's just who he is. And so we can be thankful because he's faithful. And because he's faithful, we have all the confidence to pray. And our connection to God is only dependent on his faithfulness. That's why we can come back to him. I love the story of the prodigal son in the book of Luke, chapter 15, verse 11, it starts. If you want to turn there, you can. If not, I'll read it to us. But one of my favorite stories, and, and it's not because, you know, the son is restored back, but I like this story because Jesus, in a short story, gives us a full-length movie. It's unbelievable, this story that Jesus gives. And he starts off in this way, in Matthew, excuse me, Luke chapter 15, verse 11. Jesus continues because he's talking parables. He's giving stories. And he says, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth and, uh, in wild living. After he had spent everything there with a severe famine in the whole country, in that whole country, he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. So he basically looked for work, and he found work. And his work was to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. In other words, he was starving, and he was so hungry that pig food, slop, looked good to him. Like how far he has fallen. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him which is where the dramatic music comes in. His father saw him and was filled, not with anger, because some of us, we'd be filled with anger. We would go nuts if our kids did this to us. Or maybe we wouldn't, giving you the benefit of the doubt that you're a holy man. And when he was coming, Still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. In other words, like the dad wasn't even listening to what the son was rehearsing over and over on his way home. He had his lines down perfectly done well, correct, and it's like the father, he didn't even pay attention to what the son was saying because his compassion for him outweighed anything that the son was about to say. That no matter what the son said, the dad already knew what he was about to do. Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Remember those three garments, okay? The robe, the ring, the sandals. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. 
For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. But he was lost, he was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, see how the, the, the scene changes? It's like the camera pans and goes to the son, the other son. Meanwhile, the other son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, hey, what's going on? Oh, your brother has come home, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home, you kill the fattened calf for him. And the father said, my son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. Don't miss that. It's not just for this son. What he's saying is, being my son... Everything I own belongs to you, which included the prodigal son, the son that ran away. Everything I have is yours, but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours, <laughs> it's funny how the dad turns it around from the son saying, you know, this, this, this son of yours, the dad says, you know, we had to celebrate because this brother of yours, this brother of yours was dead. So he turns the negative to a positive. He's saying this brother of yours who was dead is alive again. Like, don't you get it? Your brother was so far from me. He's alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus gives this story and helps us to understand what the dad was about to do. Here's my favorite line in this, that Jesus gives this story. It wasn't that he got back certain things. It's not because he got a robe or sandals or a ring. It's this one phrase right here. He embraced him and kissed him. That phrase means he repeatedly kissed him over and over. Have you ever done that with your kids? Like you just you smother them? We should do this with our kids. We called it kiss attack. We just say, kiss attack, kiss attack, kiss attack. And we would just, just, bah, 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 bah. and poor kids, just, bah, bah, bah. we do that with our grandkids. I grab their heads and I just lock them in and just, and they're all, you know, dizzy after that. But boy, it feels good to me. That's what it means. It's he repeatedly kissed him over and over. He was so joyful to see him. It's like the father re, re, rewound the tape of his entire life and said, my son who was dead is now born, or in other words, he's now born again. This is a new life for him. He came to his senses. I'm not concerned about his past anymore. Whatever happened is done. You are now alive. Everything that happened before this is dead to me. You're now alive and well. You were lost, now you're found. When you lose your phone and you go looking for it and you find it, you're not concerned about it being lost anymore. You could care less where it was. You're just thankful you found it. That's the love of God for us. That's what he's com communicating to us. That's what he's trying to say to us. That when we understand that God's faithfulness is built upon the fact that God loves us, there's nothing we will ever do that will cause a past so dark for God that he's not able to embrace us and kiss attack us. He'll embrace us because he's concerned about now we're alive and well. We were once lost, but now we're found. And his father treated him as a brand new baby.
You were lost, now you're found. That's the confidence that we can have in God, in his faithfulness. And here's the last thing, that we can be confident because God restores us. Just think about that word restore. Like you're, you're, restore means something is better than where it was. Here's a condition that might have been broken, bruised, wounded, but now it's restored. It's in better condition than what it was, that God restores us. He, he does something inside of us and restores us. The problem is we still look at our past, so by the time we pray to God, we're praying out of our past rather than praying about the confidence that God restored us, praying in our new life that we have in him. The privileges of the relationship that this son now has with his father again, all those privileges came back. It was restored back to him. Everything that was lost is now restored. Everything of his past, every, everything that was, was lost from his past is now restored back again. So those three garments, the robe was a particular style of robe. It was a lengthy robe and one that was specifically used for dignitaries or for special occasions to, to give someone who is in a high position honor and prestige. That's what the dad did. And what the father was saying is, from your fallen state, son, you are now restored to your former position as heir in your household. Now, you may have felt like everything is gone, but no, 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 you, you, you still have everything. It's now this relationship with the father that the father looks at as this is what restores you. It's your relationship with me. That's why you can have all of these things. That's why I'm giving you this robe. I'm letting you know that this is your position once again. You don't have to work for it. You're not going to be a slave in my home. You are now once again, restored back and even better to where you were before. The father putting the ring on his finger was signifying the son's full return in partnership with the father in the family business. That now his son had this partnership. And the ring, the ring really was the, the right to exercise authority, to exercise that partnership and authority with any kind of commercial dealing or any type of, of trade. It was that kind of, of significance. Any legal matters, that ring signified that because it represented the full capacity of whatever authoritative power that the family name had. That's what the ring signified. Whatever, whatever significance that family name had, that ring carried that much power with it. And our prayer in the name of Jesus carries the same partnered authority with our heavenly father. That's our family name. That's why Jesus said, this is how you ought to pray in this manner, our father, like our. Notice he didn't say my father. It's our father. There's a significance to it that we have that authoritative power with the, with the name of Jesus Christ, the family name of Jesus Christ. The sandals, the significance of the sandals. It wasn't about changing shoes because his sandals were worn out. In their culture, the people who were mourning, who were going through grief, they would remove their sandals as a symbol of their sorrow. And so the father puts new sandals on his feet. In other words, his dad was saying, your days of grief, your days of sorrow and pain and mourning are over. It's now a new life. The time to rejoice and be joyful has come. That's what he was saying to his son. 
And that's what Jesus does for us. He renews us. He restores us. That's the confidence that we can have, that God restores us. I'm going to close with this. John 1, verses 12 and 13. It says, but all who believed in him, or all who believed him and accepted him, speaking of Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth, resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. I'm going to call up the worship team, and I want us to understand this. When the Bible tells us that we are reborn, not with a physical birth, but with a spiritual birth, a, a, a birth reborn of God, not reborn in the physical realm, that we have to think that way. We can no longer think in the physical realm of our relationship with God, that we are children of God. We, we, we have an inheritance that we're his children. And I know we can get lost in our, our past, or our behaviors, or even our situations today, the circumstances that surround us. But tonight, I want to pray for us that we would remember the confidence that we can have in God, the confident faith that he will give to us, that we can pray to him because of who he is. And so I'm going to ask you to bow your heads for a moment and allow him to, to build us up. And Lord, when you taught us how to pray, first of all, Lord, we thank you that you have shown us clearly that prayer is relational. It's not some religious ritual that we go through, but it's, it's who we're praying to, that it's our Father, our Father, all of us included, and, and billions around the world and throughout history. And you're our Father, so we can pray confidently to you. You give us the confidence because you're faithful. We can pray because you always remain faithful even if we run from you. And so when we grow in our relationship with you, may we always remember that you restore us. That you're, 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 you're building a foundation for us. That when we pray to you, we have all the confidence in the world. That you're going to hear our prayers. Help us to develop that prayerful life. Help us to make time to pray, but also to pray without ceasing, to keep that open communication with you, to always know that you're there with us. And that as we grow in our relationship with you and one another, we're, we're able to join together as the body of Christ in our families, in our relationships. We join together in prayer in harmony to you, like a symphony to our God. This happens when we pray with a confident faith. So I pray that for all of us tonight, give us that confident faith that can only be wrapped up in how good you are and your faithfulness. We pray this in Jesus' name. And we all said together, amen, amen. That's our prayer tonight. That's our prayer.